We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, November the 11th, 2021. Today's show, I break down this weekend's games. The Gamecocks go on the road to Columbia, Missouri for the Battle of the Mayor's Cup, looking to snap their two-game losing streak to the Missouri Tigers, as well as punch their ticket to bowl eligibility for the 2021 football season. Guys, we're breaking this thing down in its entirety. First things first, guys, I do break down the Missouri Tigers. Tigers as a whole. Also, of course, we're talking top storylines, key matchups to watch, keys to the game as well. As again, guys, the Gamecocks look to build off last weekend's magical win over the Florida Gators. Also, guys, we have your listener questions and a fantastic conversation. Another great throwback interview with former South Carolina defensive lineman Nathan Peppers. He joined me two years ago, August 2019, to discuss his career in South Carolina. Guys, we have got a packed show for you. Here on a Thursday, it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. The movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group, of course. If you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
like that, the 2021 Gamecocks found themselves just one win away from bowl eligibility. Folks, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips with the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you guys sitting in, and I hope this show finds you well, no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you got the day off, maybe you're in class, whatever it is. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. I appreciate you all, your continued love and support. Again, it has been a crazy week. As of course, basketball back in full swing. Football's rocking and rolling. And what an exciting show we've got for you today is, again, guys, I officially break down everything you need to know for Saturday's game of the Gamecocks. Like I said earlier, look to punch their ticket to bowl eligibility. How much things can change so quickly? Who would have thought, you know, it's funny, guys, this time last week, I had people telling me, Chris, we won't win another game. This team's going to finish four and eight. What an abysmal season. Clean house. Fire everyone. And now this week, some of those same folks are telling me, Chris, I've seen the light. Shane Beamer's the one. Marcus Satterfield's better than I thought. Jason Brown is the answer to our prayers. And we won't lose another game that's why you got to love college football man it's so week to week it can change so quickly but again the fact is this a huge opportunity lies this saturday in the battle for the mayor's cup folks before we get into everything really quickly want to remind you saturday if you need somewhere to watch the game when the gamecocks take on mizzou we will be in fort mill south carolina at the carolina alehouse location this saturday of course kickoff is at four o'clock yours truly getting there around two or two thirty would love to have you guys come out there all my charlotte gamecocks rock hill gamecocks of course, Fort Mill Gamecocks would love to have you guys in attendance. Our last watch party, of course, of the 2021 football season. So, again, going to be a really good time. You tell them you're with TSUS. By the way, you're going to get 10% off all of your food and drink. Again, going to be a really, really, really fun experience. And thank you all so much to those who have came out to all of our watch parties, made it a massive success. I can tell you the Carolina Alehouse folks are very happy with how things have gone throughout this season. So, again, Let's do it one more time at Carolina Alehouse this Saturday, Fort Mill South kind of location. And all those details are on social media in case you need them. And again, going to be a really good time. The final road game of the 2021 football season. It's crazy, guys. Just three games left. I mean, it's crazy how time flies and the final road games. So again, if you need somewhere to watch and you're in the area, Carolina Alehouse, Fort Mill, tell them you're with TSUS, you'll get 10% off your entire order. All right, let's go ahead, guys, and dive into it. Of course, we are talking Saturday's game against the Missouri Tigers, 4 o'clock kickoff on the SEC Network in Columbia, Missouri, at Farrat Field. Guys, here's something crazy, by the way, because yesterday, literally yesterday, we talked about the gambling line and the spread, and how it had gone back and forth. And our good friends at Circus Sports had not bit yet. They had not gone as far to make the Gamecocks a favorite in this football game. Get this, and I don't know if this is a misprint. I don't know if the line has just moved, but I check five minutes before we go live, right, to put in my notes. Yesterday, Circus Sports, our good friends at the Gamecocks, as a one-point underdog in this ballgame. Today? South Carolina is now a two and a half point underdog 
as of Wednesday afternoon. So again, I'm not sure what changed. I'm really not. Um, we have not heard anything in regards to Missouri's quarterback situation, which, you know, we're going to talk about that more in just a second. But yeah, the spread now sits at two and a half. Of course, it opened with Missouri as a three-point favorite, but came all the way down to one. Now it's back up some money coming in on Mizzou. So what does it mean? Does it really matter? Of course, you were a 20-and-a-half-point underdog last weekend, but just some interesting line movement. And I, I don't know if it goes to show maybe folks think that South Carolina is being overvalued or they think the Gamecocks are due to lay an egg or they're not giving the Gamecocks enough credit for what they did last week against Florida or maybe they think Mizzou at home is undervalued. I have no idea. But either way, guys, South Carolina now a two-and-a-half-point underdog. The over-under still sits at 55 total points. Guys, the series in this one, how about this? Missouri leads at six and five, so South Carolina will be looking to even the all-time series when they take on the Tigers this Saturday, Mizzou, of course, has won two in a row, the last meeting being last year, and Mizzou won that ball game. Of course, this was after Will Muschamp had been fired. Mike Bobo was the interim coach. Luke Doty took, took over in his football game, and Missouri, though, did get the win, but just by a score of 17-10 to 10 at Williams-Brice Stadium. Of course, guys, head coach Eli Drinkwitz from Mizzou in his second season as head coach. Missouri struggled a bit, though, this season. They are 4-5 and five overall and 1-4 and four in the SEC, of course, coming off a shellacking to the hands of the Georgia Bulldogs, which most teams have gotten dominated by Georgia. But 43-6 to six was the final in that one. Uh, you look back at their schedule. They opened the season beating Central Michigan, then lost to Kentucky, beat Southeast Missouri State, lost to Boston College, which was a tough one in overtime, uh, lost big to Tennessee, did beat North Texas, lost by three touchdowns to AM, beat Vanderbilt by nine points. Uh, and then again, of course, like I said, guys, lost 43 to six last weekend to the Georgia Bulldogs. So again, with just three to play, needing two to get bowl eligible, this is a big one for Mizzou because again, they have Florida next weekend and then at the Arkansas Razorbacks to close out their 2021 football season. So if you look at Mizzou objectively, you think to yourself, for Mizzou to become bowl eligible, they're probably going to have to win this. One. They're probably going to have to win it. So it should be a desperate bunch, a bunch playing with their hair on fire in the game on Saturday. Mizzou averaging 31 points per game. Here's the kicker, guys. They are giving up 37 points per game and 270 rushing yards per game. We've harped on that all week long because, again, that is truly the matchup within the matchup. Can South kind of carry over what they did against Florida and run all over a very beat-up Missouri defense? Now, Shane Beamer did point out last weekend they were pretty good against the run or better than expected, you should probably say, in the first half against Georgia. But overall, guys, they have had problems defensively. I don't think there's been an FBS team that has scored less than 24 points on their defense. So South kind of should be able to continue to build momentum and have the opportunity. They will have the opportunity to continue to build offensive success in this ball game on Saturday, guys. Let's dive into our top storylines. Of course, the first one's got to be, and I mentioned it at the top of the show, Simply put, the opportunity to become bowl eligible. And, and guys, I want to start here because I have been injecting perspective all season long, right? And I said it before Shane Beamer even said it, but then he echoed this sentiment. Things are never as good as they seem, and things are never as bad as they seem. And, and the reason that I say that is this, guys. Getting to six wins, please do not 
underestimate how big of a deal that is in Shane Beamer's first season. We are talking about a program that had won a combined six games total in the previous two seasons before he got here. And we are talking about a football team and a roster that was about 90% composed of those exact players that did that. So the fact the Gamecocks sit here with three to play at five and four, the opportunity in this one, and a very realistic opportunity to become bowl eligible is, is truly a testament to the work that Shane Beamer, his coaching staff, and these players have put in to overcome adversity, to improve over the course of the season, to rally the troops, to keep things together. And now you have the chance with a win on Saturday to punch that ticket to bowl eligibility, which in Shane Beamer's first year, getting to a bowl, the extra practices, another opportunity to compete and play in the team and get another win, by the way, it's huge. It's huge. You know, I, I know this is a program that got out of the mindset of, you know, celebrating winning six games and celebrating becoming bowl eligible, you know, when Steve Spurrier was here. But it will be a very, very, very big deal if South Carolina wins on Saturday. A very big deal. And again, to sit here with three games left, that opportunity to be realistic, to become bowl eligible, it, it is, it feels good, obviously, right? We're all feeling good. This week has been incredible. I feel like we've been celebrating all week long. But to have that opportunity, what's crazy, guys, and I look at my preseason predictions, you're exactly where I picked you to be in the preseason at this point. Not necessarily the results-wise, but five and four. And I had you in the preseason losing to Mizzou and then beating Auburn. I think it's obviously most much more likely now the reverse of that happens. But either way, bowl eligibility on the line in this ballgame. Can South Gunnup go ahead, punch their ticket, get the job done, and set up a huge last two games of the season against Auburn and Clemson? Back to Mizzou, though. Speaking on their football team, we talked about, guys, their quarterback situation. That's another huge storyline in this ballgame. What is the status of Connor Basilak, their starting quarterback? Of course, they had to play last week Tyler Macon, who played against Georgia, also Brady Cook, also Chance Looper has played for just one snap. But Connor Basilak is their guy. This season, he's thrown for 2,138 yards, 13 touchdowns, eight interceptions. He is dealing with concussion issues. He is dealing with problems. And this is a Mizzou team that when he's in there, they can throw the football, guys, 265 yards per game. They've also got a fantastic rushing attack with Tyler Beatty, already over 1,000 yards for him individually. But Connor Bays, like he's sort of the thing that makes Eli Drinkwitz's system go. Will he be healthy? What is the status? And if he can't go, if he can't go, I know we're already really confident in the Gamecocks defense and their opportunistic nature, but if he cannot go, how does that affect this game, the score, South Carolina's chances in this ball game? Going to be really interesting to follow along as we get closer and closer to the kick. Because, again, guys, like I said, I sit here right now on Wednesday afternoon. I've really heard nothing in regards to Basilak. Will he play? They're going to continue to reevaluate, reevaluate. And I think when it, when, it, when it comes to a concussion, guys, you just never know. I mean, you, you wake up, how do you feel? You wake up, how do you feel? So it could be a game-time decision to kick off. I know Shane Beamer, Clayton White, those guys, they're getting ready for everybody. But what is the status of Missouri quarterback Connor Basilak? Something really key to follow as we approach kickoff. 
On the other side, speaking of quarterbacks, and a huge storyline in this one, obviously, guys, and much deservedly so, we have spent, including yours truly, of course, has spent all week heaping praise onto Jason Brown and the job he did at Williams-Brice Stadium in his first career start against the Florida Gators. And, you know, it's been awesome giving credit where credit's due and showering the St. Francis transfer with praise, if you will. Now things change up a little bit as Jason Brown hits the road for his first ever career start. Now, guys, I want to make it very clear. I am taking nothing away from Jason Brown. When I say this, I am just making what I feel is a very obvious point. Why did South kind of have so much offensive success last weekend against Florida? 284 rushing yards and an offensive line that finally got their heads out of their asses. That is a fact. That is a fact. Can Jason Brown duplicate his success from last week, go on the road in a pivotal game, show poise, show the same moxie, so show the same pocket awareness, and carry that into this ballgame? Again, I think asking Jason Brown to be a hero to do anything out of the ordinary, asking him to throw for 300 yards or anything crazy is not the game plan, nor should it be. The game plan for this offense, guys, we talked all preseason long, and it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, guys. This game plan fits whoever's behind center. Run the football. Establish the run and make life easy on everyone else. But there's going to be moments in this game where Jason Brown has to throw it. And there will be opportunities, by the way, to hit big plays because Mizzou gives up over 200 yards passing per game as well. So you like to think to yourself, there's going to be opportunities to hit some plays downfield. And Jason Brown was brilliant in his first start. Again, the the numbers weren't gaudy, but he did everything this coaching staff asked of him and more. He was accurate with the football. He escaped pressure. He showed the mobility. He showed the composure and the moxie, which maybe was the most impressive thing for a guy that really worked his tail off and waited his turn. But now things change up. You go on the road. It's going to be cold, right? You're in a big pressure situation. You could say last weekend there was no pressure. You were three touchdown underdogs. Now, hey, people are looking at you. Okay, you're QB1. We're expecting you to win. Now we're expecting that each and every single time out. How does he handle the pressure? Is it the same cool, calm, collected guy we saw last weekend? Or do things change up a little bit now that you're on the road and the stakes have been raised just slightly? So, again, the play of Jason Brown, going to be pivotal, going to be key for this football team. How does he handle it? in his first career road start in the Garnet and Black. Moving to the other side of the ball, guys, a big storyline, of course, the defense. Clayton White's unit been incredible. Can they be opportunistic yet again? Because I look at this ball game, and I've been seeing some score predictions, 28 to 10, 42 to 7, 38 to 14. I know we're all high on what Clayton White and this group have done defensively throughout this season. And I don't think Mizzou is some offensive juggernaut 
by any means, but they got some players, you know, and this, this could be affected a lot by if Connor Bazelak can go, but they've got players, right? The Gamecocks have struggled for the most part this season to stop the run. Mizzou has a fantastic running back in Tyler Beatty. They've got good weapons on the outside. They've got guys that can beat you again. They're averaging guys scoring 31 points per game. Take away what they did against Georgia. Who cares? Nobody can score against Georgia. So I do think Mizzou, for the most part, or not for the most part, but they're going to get their yards, right? Mizzou's going to get their yards. Can Clayton White's unit be opportunistic yet again? Can they take advantage when the opportunities are there, forcing the turnovers? I mean, that, that was another huge part of the Florida game, right, guys? You won the turnover battle. You didn't turn it over at all. And not only did you get turnovers, but when you got them, you took advantage. Scoop and score, big-time INT that turns into a touchdown. You took advantage. You were opportunistic. Can Clayton White's unit do it yet again? Can they come up big for the Gamecocks and give this team a real opportunity to win this football game thanks to yet another solid defensive effort? Another storyline in this one, guys, and I know my guy SC Weather. I don't know if Mitch tunes into the podcast, but if he is, I'm sure he'll appreciate this. The weather. We need our weather report. Um, the weather's a bit of a storyline. It's going to be cold, right? I think ball security is going to be at a premium, not turn the football over. How does it affect the game plan? Is it going to be more of a, of a defensive slugfest, running the football type of game? I mean, will we see even more offense? These teams both having success on the ground. The weather in this one, in the cold weather, and the Gamecocks going to, it'll by, by far be the coldest game we've played in thus far this season. So keep an eye on the weather. Maybe how maybe maybe it won't mean anything at all. But how does the weather affect the ball game? I think that's something to watch for. And guys, my final storyline in this one, and, and this is the one I've been sort of holding off on, saving the best for last, and dancing around it, if you will. But you talk to any South Carolina fan this week who's been watching Gamecocks football for longer than we'll say a season. Um, you notice some PTSD in there. And <laughs> you notice Gamecock fans are very optimistic about this game this weekend, but they're cautiously optimistic. Stress on the cautiously. Because how many times have we seen, and you can't deny it, even the most positive Garnet Glasses Gamecock fan can't deny it, how many times have we seen this team get a big win, an emotional win, and show up the next week? and lay an egg, show up the next week and underperform and get beat. I mean, guys, it was even happening when South kind of was in its heights under Steve Spurrier. Who can forget 2010 when you beat Alabama and then lose to Kentucky and Lexington the following weekend? Who can forget that? So we talked about it on Tuesday with Alex McGrath. How do you avoid the letdown game? And my final storyline, guys, and my question is this. Which Gamecocks team shows up? Because I talked earlier having perspective. And I'm going to continue to preach that. I'm going to continue to inject that, right? Because I've been celebrating all week, guys. Listen, winning is great for my psyche. Winning is great for my personal life, my professional life. You could argue winning is great for my love life. Winning is great for everyone. It's great for business. It's great for you all. It's incredible. Winning's awesome. I've been celebrating all week long. But here's the thing. And again, I fall in that same camp with Gamecock fans who are cautiously optimistic. Because the positive from last weekend's game against Florida is this. Now we know what this team's potential is. Like, we know, hey, this team has that in it. 
With that being said, would it be wise to expect this Gamecocks team to play that well or even better on Saturday against Missouri? Probably not. Guys, I, I equate this to like a golfer, right? Think about yourself. If you're a weekend warrior, if you're a golfer, if you're like our friend Alex McGrath and you play, whatever. Think about the best round you ever shot, right? Think about the best round you ever shot. That's not you on a consistent basis, right? That was you at your best. Everything clicked that day. The stars aligned and it all worked out. Now think of you in your worst round you ever shot. Again, same thing. That's not you. That's not your game on a consistent basis. Things just went awry. It wasn't your day, what have you. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. And what you have to hope for as a Gamecock fan, that the play on Saturday will be much, 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 much closer to what we saw over the weekend against Florida versus what we've seen against the likes of Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, Tennessee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So which Gamecocks team shows up? Do we see a team that is continuing to build and has that confidence from last weekend? And really, you could say most importantly, has that edge and that swagger that it had last weekend at Williams-Brice? Or do we see a team come out that reverts back to some of the old errors and old ways we saw in the first eight games of the season? Do we see a team making penalties? Do we see a team turning the football over? Do we see a run game that can't get going? Which Gamecocks team shows up? Because here's the thing, guys, like it or not, we've seen this movie before and the ship still sinks. So I think, while there's a lot of optimism, there's been a lot of celebrating this week, as there should have been. You should feel good, Gamecock fans. There's been a lot of warm and fuzzy feelings this week. But we've seen this movie before. We've seen this movie before, and we know how quickly things can change. We know how quickly things can change. Let's have this team prove to everyone they can put back-to-back good performances together. And, you know, I want to make the point, by the way, you don't have to play as well as you did last week in a win, but you got to play closer to that than, say, playing closer to the team that beat Vanderbilt by a single point. So, which Gamecocks team shows up? That, my friends, might be the most important question of all as we count down to kickoff. All right, guys, let's start on our key matchups to watch. There are some good ones, some good players on the field in this ballgame. And we're going to start, like I mentioned, in the running game. Guys, we can talk all we want about Jason Brown and, you know, his productivity on Saturday, the way he handled the offense. And he did a great job. 284 rushing yards. 284 rushing yards. It starts with the running game, and it starts with a guy in Kevin Harris. Running backs Kevin Harris against linebacker Blaze Aldridge for Mizzou, a really good player on this defense, leading their team, or excuse me, second on their team in tackles, 53 tackles for Blaze Aldridge, eight tackles for loss, and four sacks. We saw glimpses, or we really saw it last week. Kevin Harris returned to his 2020 form. I know you've got a lot of great options. I know people are going to say, well, Chris, what about Zaquandre White? you got to start Zaquandre White. 
I really still believe Kevin Harris the guy is the guy that leads this running back room. I still think he's your guy. He is your bell cow. He is your workhorse. And if he has a big game, this team will have a big game as well. So, again, running back Kevin Harris against linebacker Blaze Aldridge making a guy miss. They're going to stack the box. They're going to send pressure. Can Kevin Harris win that one-on-one matchup, that one-on-one battle? Going to be big to watch. Sticking with the line of scrimmage and, guys, sticking with the run game because, like I told you, and I know it gets boring week after week after week, but, guys, again, I'll reinforce it. The more things change, the more they stay the same in the game of football. If you can run the football and you can stop the run, you're going to have a lot of success. If you can't stop the run defensively, it's going to be rough sledding, for lack of a better way to put it. I don't even know what I was trying to say there, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough if you can't stack the run. And when I look at this Mizzou run game, they got a really good one. A guy in the middle, Jabari Ellis, had a big game last week against Florida defensive lineman Jabari Ellis against running back Tyler Beatty. Beatty, probably the best running back in the SEC you've never heard of, 1,030 yards this season, 6.2 yards per carry, and 11 touchdowns on the season. Guys, he's having a season very similar to what Kevin Harris did a season ago. Jabari Ellis, just one of your many big guys in the middle. And I look at a guy like Jabari because he's the leader in there. We can talk Pickens. We can talk Tonka. We can talk some of these other guys. But Jabari Ellis, to me, is the heart and soul in the inside of this Gamecocks defense. Him having a big game, stopping or at least limiting Tyler Beatty, because you feel like Beatty's going to get his yardage, but limiting a guy like Tyler Beatty, slowing down the run game, making maybe not even Connor Bays, like making whoever the Missouri quarterback is beat you in third and longs. That spells a recipe for success, in my opinion. So, again, Jabari Ellis against Tyler Beatty, going to be a big one to watch in the middle for the Gamecocks defensively. And a final key matchup. We're talking gunslingers. We're talking quarterbacks. Let's not shy away from it. Jason Brown is going to have moments in this game where he can and has to make things happen. And one of my good buddies, shout out Eric Fryer. He is a big-time Jason Brown supporter, and he has mentioned – especially last weekend, what Jason Brown has done for this football team in the running game and having to have someone account for him. Well, someone's going to be accounting for him this week, and the guy it might be is one of the best players in the conference. So quarterback Jason Brown against defensive lineman Trajan Jeffcoat, Shane Beamer mentioning Jeffcoat in his media availability on Tuesday. A fantastic player, 21 tackles in the season, five-and-a-half tackles for loss, two-and-a-half sacks. This guy was first-team All-SEC last year, an extremely athletic player on the edge. Can Jason Brown keep a guy like that honest? Jeff Coat probably going to be able to get back there more than once or twice. He was able to. Jason Brown was spin out of trouble, have pocket awareness, feel the pressure coming from both sides. Can he do that yet again? Again, that, those, those were huge plays in that game. Those were huge plays in that game against Florida when Jason Brown was able to get out of that. So, again, Jason Brown against Trajan Jeffcoat. Jeffcoat, a fantastic player. There aren't tons of big-time guys in that Mizzou defense. Obviously, you can tell by their struggles, but Jeffcoat's one of them, and Jason Brown is going to have to account for him on the Mizzou defensive front. All right, let's move, guys, into our key to the game. And what's funny when I was talking about the first key matchup, I almost bled that over to the key to the game because damn it, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. The running game. We can talk quarterbacks, we can talk receivers, we can talk tight ends, we can talk Satterfield. The reason the Gamecocks dominated Florida is because they ran the ball for 284 yards. They ran it for over six and a half yards per carry, guys. They had two 100-yard 
rushers who both averaged over eight yards per carry. There is no secret. I've been preaching it for months. I've been preaching it since the spring game. In games where this team can run the football, they will have a lot of success. In games where they cannot run the football, they will not have success. It's really that simple. Now, there are other external factors, of course. A guy like Jason Brown taking care of the football, making smart decisions, guys catching the ball, right? No turnovers, no dumb penalties. But I'm telling you, if the Gamecocks, and are they going to run for 284 yards again? Maybe not. But, guys, this is a Missouri defense allowing 271 yards per game. You've got to take advantage. You absolutely have to build off what you did last weekend and carry at least some of that running game in this game. I think 200-plus is what you should be shooting for because it is very doable, again, against the Missouri front that has everybody has run on them this season. So, guys, my first key to the game, it's very simple. Run the damn ball. Run the ball. Win first down in the running game. Shame we were talking about, hey, we're on time on offense. What does that mean? Well, they're on time. They're getting into second and sixes, second and fives, manageable down and distances, and it all starts with the running game. Everything opens up when the running game is successful. Everyone looks better when you can run the football. That's my first key. Run the damn ball. My second key to the game, very much so, ties back into my first. Win the time of possession battle. Guys, in games the Gamecocks have won the T.O.P., they haven't lost. Did you know that? They haven't lost. It's simple. You run the ball. You control the game. You win T.O.P., and you win. <laughs> it's very, very simple. Second key to the game, win time of possession. My final key to the game. And again, this is one, like I talked about in our top storylines, maybe I'm saving the best for last. And I don't necessarily worry about this with Shane versus football team. I think this team, you know, again, there's so much to play for. And I, I think Shane Beamer and this squad will have our guys ready to play. But there's been a lot of celebration this week. There's been a lot of people telling this football team how great they are and how, how great Shane Beamer is and how great Marcus Satterfield is and patting them on the back, right? What's the old adage? Don't read your press clippings. Don't read social media. And the final key to this game, and maybe the most important, keep your edge. Keep that same exact edge, that same exact swagger you brought into the Florida game. Don't come in this one with the big head. Don't come in this one with the wrong attitude. Now, again, if Sal kind of was favored in this football game, I'd be a lot more worried about this being a thing necessarily. You know, I'd be a lot more worried about this being a thing. But still, it needs to be mentioned. It needs to be discussed. Which team shows up? Well, while you maybe can't expect to be as dominant as you were last weekend, you can expect a football team to show up and play with that same edge and that same tenacity they had in the big win over Florida. So again, guys, my three keys. Run the damn ball. Win the time of possession. And keep your edge. You do those three things, the Gamecocks win, and the Gamecocks just might win big.
just might win big. All right, guys, let's get into your listener questions. Then we'll dive into our interview. That is my breakdown, my full analysis, my full preview of Saturday's game against Mizzou. Of course, guys, tomorrow's show, I will drop my official prediction as the Gamecocks look to notch their sixth win of the 2021 football season. All right, let's dive in these listener questions, guys. Eric Reese underscore says, I'm scared to see what happens year after year. Big win, big letdown the following week. Again, I just talked about that earlier to Eric Reese confirming my thoughts. Gamecock fans have PTSD, and I can't even blame you, to be totally honest, because like I told you earlier, I'm optimistic, but I'm cautiously optimistic. Stress on the word cautiously. Austin G underscore 45, do you think the job Eric Kimry has done with tight ends has been underappreciated? A little bit just because we haven't thrown to the tight ends nearly as much as I think we all thought we would. Um, but I think Kimry's done a great job. I think the tight ends, when they've gotten their opportunities, have been pretty damn good. Uh, the Gamecock talk, do you think Brown will finish our season off? Yes. Yes, I do. I, I you know, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? I absolutely think he will. C.Armstrong.2, do you think after the feeling the players felt Saturday night, they come out hot again? Well, here's the thing. It should give them a lot of confidence. Again, it should give them confidence to know, like, hey, man, if we play our game, if we just execute, I mean – who can stop us? Who can stop us? You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, it, it, sh- it should give you confidence. We should have that edge. We should be fired up, ready to go. It's not a noon kick or anything, right? So, I mean, you know, and there's a great opportunity to get to six wins, get to bowl eligibility. I know they're not thinking about that, but, I mean, I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, after you have that feeling and you, and you have that sense of confidence, if you will, and everybody's feeling good, yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit, right? So we'll see if they can do it, if they can duplicate it, or even just come close to it. But uh, this team should be feeling really good going into this ball game. There's no question. Uh, last comment, Lil Tweezy80 just says, great win, fellas. It was a great win over the Florida Gators. Really, really good stuff. Again, guys, appreciate your questions. Appreciate your comments. Appreciate you guys always being engaging with the content. Thank you so much. Now, don't go anywhere. We got a great conversation, great throwback interview all the way from August of 2019. Former Gamecocks defensive lineman Nathan Pepper. Pep, an all-timer, man. One of the best ever wore the garnet in black and a really awesome dude, by the way. So, again, appreciate you all tuning in, folks. What a week it's been. Content bleeding out the eyeballs. And, again, I cannot say thank you, thank you, thank you enough, guys. Your continued love and support day after day after day. You know, I, I make a sickening amount of content for some people at least i know that's what some of you think i make a sickening amount of content but you guys continue to engage with each and every single piece day after day after day you guys support support us rock with us rock with everything we can do and i just cannot say thank you enough and show enough gratitude to each and every single one of you again guys be sure to come out to carolina ale house on saturday the fort mill location going to be a great time and like i said tomorrow I will lock in my official prediction as the Gamecocks look to punch their ticket to bowl eligibility. That being said, guys, you guys have a great rest of your Thursday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks defensive lineman Nathan Pepper. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for the Gamecocks from 2005 to 2009. Over his career, he amassed 80 total tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, Four sacks, two interceptions, including two defensive touchdowns as well. He was actually the first ever Gamecock to play in four bowl games in 2005, 2006, 2008, and 2009. I'm very pleased to welcome the show. Former Gamecocks defensive tackle, Nathan Pepper. Nathan, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, man, thank you so much for having me on, buddy. I appreciate it. 
Absolutely. So, Nathan, let's kind of go back to the beginning for you, for you because you're a guy uh, hailing from Greenville, South Carolina. You're kind of a local guy, if you will. Um, just kind of go back to your recruitment, if you will, because I, I think it's really interesting. You were being recruited by Lou Holtz and his staff, and then you obviously yeah. stuck with your commitment during a coaching change when Lou Holtz announced his retirement and Coach Spurrier took over. Just kind of talk about that entire recruiting process and what led you to eventually become a Gamecock. All right. Um, I had a few offers, not not many offers on the on the table. You know, I was a uh, um, you know, from upstate, you know, in the area. And um, you know, once I started to talk to Carolina, I had a couple of my teammates that were there. Well, one to be exact, you know, Noah Whiteside. Uh, we played high school together, so he was already on the on the team. So he was kind of, you know, my main contact person when when it came to, you know, talking to guys and just trying to figure out, you know, how the program was. So I talked with Noah Whiteside a lot and um and I just decided to go ahead and, and commit to Carolina. You know, it was really between South Carolina and Kentucky. And um, there was a South Carolina guy that moved out to Kentucky, uh, and that was Joker Phillips. So we had a really good relationship with him. And I was I was really close to between the, the going, you know, to going to Kentucky, but I ended up, you know, giving South Carolina the nod. I actually went down to Kentucky for the South Carolina-Kentucky game my senior year in high school. I think Mike Roth came off the came off the bench to um to win the game for Carolina you know and, and that was kind of a that was kind of a deciding you know game that kind of that after that game I was like okay I want to be Gamecock so after you know from that point on I was kind of all Carolina and I, I really didn't want it to you know be any kind of confusion I just kind of wanted to be committed so I can play my last year of high school and just mm -hmm. focus on playing the sport you know why was it so important to you to – because, I mean, you know how re the recruiting landscape has changed so much, especially now. But for you, obviously, you, you stayed with Carolina through the coaching change. I mean, did did, did your recruit or commitment waver at all when that happened? Or kind of how, how did you handle that when the Gamecocks switched, uh, switched head coaches? I mean, I never once was committed to a certain coach. You know, I looked at the school. I looked at the, the landscape, you know, the atmosphere around the program. And that was just kind of what I decided on. You know, I didn't – I wasn't too worried about the whole, you know, if Spurrier is coming, if, is he not coming and all this stuff is going on. You know, I was – I just wanted to go ahead and get committed and, and just kind of have a program to, to commit myself to to just begin to get ready to play some college football. For sure. So, and you get to Carolina, obviously, fall of 2005. Very interesting time, obviously, very exciting because, like you mentioned, I mean, it is Steve Spurrier's first year at South Carolina. Talk about Steve Spurrier a little bit. What were your first interactions like with him? Well, my first couple of uh, conversations with him was all positive. You know, um, you know, once he was named the coach, you know, he started reaching out to to commits and the recruits that he wanted to, I guess, wanted to keep that was already kind of on the ballot before the Gamecocks. So we talked briefly, spent some time together, you know, uh, spent some time at, at my high school. He, he came to the school and all those kind of things, which, he, you know, I think I'm sure he did that for all the, the recruits in that class. So it wasn't wasn't too too crazy, you know, doing things like that. But um. But the biggest thing was that my recruiting coach stayed on the staff. So the coach that recruited me to South Carolina, when the to when the coaching change happened, he was still the guy that I was talking to from start to finish. So so it wasn't too much of a a deal for me because the guy that I talked to on a daily basis was was still the same guy, same person. And you know I played defense. You know Spurrier's the offensive coach. You know it was great to be able to play for Coach Spurrier and all that, but. You know, I was a defensive guy. So, you know, Coach Spurrier was, you know, the offensive guru. So, 
you know, really did I have to, you know, interact with Coach Spurrier directly, you know, unless it was a, you know, fourth down, maybe we need to get that ball back or something like that and give us a little extra boost to get us going. But for the most part, you, you know, you deal with your coordinators and you deal with your position mm-hmm. coach. For sure. So I think, Nathan, something really interesting about your career is that 2005, you saw limited action as a true freshman, didn't didn't record any tackles, but jumping to 2006 for you personally, um, you really burst on the scene. I mean, you played in all 13 games, started 12 of them, had 25 total tackles, a sack, an interception. I mean, what clicked for you? What changed for you going from that freshman to sophomore year that led you having such a dominant 2006 season? Well, for one thing, we were loaded in 2005. You know, um, we didn't have a whole lot of success as far as wins and losses go. But, you know, I was a defensive end in high school. And I think I might have had three or four defensive ends on the team before I even came to the school that were, you know, 6'5 and up. You know, we had some good size in, some tough guys that was playing. So I had to move to the interior. And I spent that whole year really learning how to play as an interior lineman. And it took me forever to gain some – had to get some weight on me. You know, I was just a little bit too light to play the position. So I just kind of had to grow. And it took me a good year, you know, a good year or so to kind of – I mean, I kind of mixed in there on some special teams my first year. But I think the experience of me being there and just being around the team and, and just going through the atmosphere week in and week out kind of let me know, you know, got me prepared the next year to kind of not have my head spinning once the, once the time comes for me to play, you know, significant minutes. Because, you know, I didn't record any tackles. I don't think my first year, but, I mean, I think I might have had, I mean, who knows how many plays I had from scrimmage on our defense. It was mostly special teams and, you know, just filling in, working, just getting some experience. So I, sure. I can't really say that one thing clicked specifically, but I was older, I was bigger, I was stronger. So I was I was just ready to play some significant minutes, you know, my sophomore year. And uh, thankfully, I was able to contribute to the team. For sure. So you're a guy, Nathan, I know you growing up in the state of South Carolina, again, from Greenville, you of all people definitely know the importance of the South Carolina Clemson game. Talk, talk about that rivalry a little bit, because I want to get to eventually you know, up next leading the play in 2006 and the Clemson game that you had. But just overall, the rivalry, talk about your experiences playing in that rivalry. And uh, again, you being an in-state guy, I'm sure you knew the stakes of that game well before you got on campus. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it was definitely a, a rival, a definitely important rival. I mean, we were different conferences, you know. The SEC, ACC, those conferences don't really definitely didn't compare at the time, you know. But um, um, that rival is one that's going to stick around for a while, and it's it's just um, everyone knows when that game comes up, it's just you know it's, it's circled on the calendar. You know, all all the guys are kind of talking about it. It's probably a little different now, you know, seeing that it's not a you know a ton of guys that's from that state that really understand the rival, but the fans would definitely keep you in the loop and let you know how important it is. That's for sure. <laughs> would, you, would you say it's a bigger thing for the fans th- than the players? Because I've heard that from someone else before, that, that the way the fans, how seriously they take it is, it's much more on the field, the players, it's a much more of a respect factor uh, on, on both sides versus like just a pure hatred. I mean, it's not even that. It's, it's just another game, you know, and, and the years when we could – be you know in the in the hunt in our league and be able to play against the Clemson team that's in the head of their league it, it was always fun you know for me personally just because you know you would get you know a good competitive game and um you know I think I I went maybe I think it was 500 against them I won two and lost lost two mm-hmm. but it was it was always you know great competitors on the other side and, and and it is a fan thing the guys don't really hate it's not it's not exactly the way the fans kind of make it out 
because I mean, it's just another game. At the end of the day, it's just another football game. Everybody's, you know, high-fiving and doing whatever you want to do after the game. So it's, it's not as important as the fans like to make it out to be. For sure. So I, I want to talk about that play in 2006, Nathan, the play that uh, if people have forgotten, uh, you had an interception return, 33 yards. Field goal and we won. Yeah, oh, yeah. So won the game. So it didn't matter. <laughs> I, I want to clarify that. Didn't matter. But I, I want to get your take on it, just your perspective. The uh, ball's punched out again. You, I mean, I, there's a great picture on that field goal that Jad Dean missed. You're actually the, the main guy in the middle jumping up, trying to block it. So again, you guys get the win, but. Just talk about that play. I mean, what did you learn from that? I guess looking back now, maybe you have a different perspective on it than in the moment. And again, like you mentioned, South Carolina won the game 31-28. So, you know, all is, uh, you know, all is fine. But when you look back at that play, I mean, what uh, – I, I guess what do you take away from it? What did you learn from that? Oh, man, I learned to finish, you know. I mean, that going through that, that was kind of one of the worst plays I ever had. One of the best plays and the worst plays in my whole career there in Carolina kind of summed it all up in one. But um, I mean, it was it was you know it was it was a crazy game. You know, the game, the high tempo game. You know, they were going hurry up a few times, and and the game itself was just getting crazy. And then we had opportunity to kind of fill it and kind of put it away. You know, and kind of quiet that crowd down in it. And so I'm I'm just I'm I'm in the game and I'm rushing in and I'm I'm thinking, okay, quarterback's gonna throw the ball. Let me just jump jump up and knock it down. Nowhere in the world I'm gonna catch it. I just want to you know knock it down. Let's let's get off the field. You know. So, so I, I I go in and jump and knock the pass down, and um, when I land back on the ground, the crowd is quiet, and I realize I got the ball. So, <laughs> okay, it's time to do something with it. So, I take off towards our end zone, and um, you know, from my from my view, you know, I'm out. I've outran the offensive linemen. You know, all I could see was the big guys in the middle kind of giving up. So I kind of relaxed as I saw them relax, and as soon as I relaxed my body and that's when that's when he comes and he knocks it out of the back of the end zone and uh it was it was crushing man it was it was it was a rough one but as soon as that ball come out I saw it roll out of the end zone and then they start reviewing the the play I'm just sitting there like that's a touchback 100 percent there's no need to review this one (laughs) What, what was the conversation like with Spurrier on that one because something I had forgotten about that I read is that I I think he suspended you for the first quarter of the Liberty Bowl which to me seems like you said, you guys won the game, so it seems kind of harsh. I mean, what was the conversation like with him after that? Well, it wasn't much of a conversation because we didn't talk at the game. You know, I, I kind of um, – my defensive coaches left me in the game because the touchback puts the defense back on the on the field. Mm-hmm. So the coaches left me in the game so that he couldn't get to me because they knew I needed to play the rest of the game. So they didn't, they didn't want him to get a hold to me <laughs> after that play. So they left me on the field, and we went three and out after that. And, and got off the field, but um, you know that gave Spurrier a little bit of time to cool off, and everybody a time to just you know go on to the next, you know, go on to the next thing. So um, there wasn't much said during the game, but but I had to have a meeting with him and all. And there was a few things said, nothing significant, but it just just basically, without you know saying too much, um, he just basically told me that you know our team can't can be doing things like of that nature. So, you know, it's got to be something done about it. So that's where the suspension came. Gotcha. So, again, and it's all positive because South Carolina won both of those games, I mean, which were two great wins while you were at Carolina. Uh, going into that 2007 season, again, this one really interesting, Nathan, because you, I feel like for you, you'd probably agree, you're off to a really good start um, in the South Carolina State game. You have an interception return for a touchdown. 
Uh, and on the play, as you get into the end zone, your knee buckles, torn ACL out for the season, just more adversity. I feel like in your career, it's a common theme of facing adversity and overcoming it. But uh, I mean, what's going through your head in that play? Because in the moment, it's such a great play. But I imagine you feel the the leg go and you probably know it was pretty serious. Well, at the moment, you know, um, when that play happened, you know, it was, I think South Carolina State might have jumped offside two or three times in a row because the crowd was just too loud for them. So they jumped, couldn't hear a snap count two or three times in a row. So we run the same play three times. And on that third time, when they finally stay on side and we can get the play going, that's when I get interception. And um, I'm just – I'm getting the ball. And this is the year after the whole Clemson debacle, you know. So, I'm thinking, okay, let me get this ball. Let me get in the end zone as fast as I can with with no trouble. So, let's get, through, get in the end zone. So, I got in there. And as soon as I stopped, it buckled. But I didn't think it was serious at the time because it just felt like, you know, I just, like, tripped a little bit or I just kind of – or just gave in a little bit and I, just, and I lost my footing. That's how it felt. It, it didn't feel like it was bad at all because it didn't hurt. Hmm. So, fall on the ground, all the guys coming, dog pal, you know, all celebrating, and then it's time to get up. And I'm like, oh, 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 something is wrong. <laughs> something is wrong now. So, I get up, and the guys pull me up, and I try to try to walk. And then that's when I that's when I realize, like, oh, now this is serious. This is serious. So, that was the end of my season, you know, three games into the year. So, and luckily, I wanted to say, you got the medical red shirt, which was, you know, huge news for you, huge news for South Carolina. But walk me through kind of the rehab, because uh, obviously with a torn ACL, I know it's very tough rehab. I mean, what was that like for you? And I guess just how were you able to overcome that? Oh, well, well, the medical red shirt thing wasn't even that qu- a question at the time, because, I mean, we all kind of knew what the rule was at, the, at that time. It was, you know, it was three games or I think, or like 30 or 35% of the season or whatever it was. But, I mean, we all knew I hadn't played, you know, enough games anyway. So, the medical was kind of guaranteed as soon as we found out it was actually torn. But um, the rehab was an ongoing process, man. I, I stayed in school year-round. You know, I didn't go home for Christmas. I, um, I stayed around the whole summer rehabbing twice a day. You know, it was it was a serious grind to make sure that I was back in time to contribute to that team. And, and that was what I wanted to do. For sure. And you, and you did that returning in 2008. Uh, overall played in all 13 games. You had 23 total tackles, five tackles for loss, a sack. We're one of the more disruptive players for South Carolina in the middle of the defense. Uh, a play I want to jump to that 2008 season, which was another big win for you guys while you were at Carolina. 2008 at Ole Miss. Uh, you have a fumble recovery in that one, which it's, it's kind of funny. You think the third straight season you have a – defensive touchdown or you know what should have been obviously no six a defensive touchdown but a like a similar type play scoop and score for you yep. you're 29 yards you take it to the house I mean to I'm sure that one had to be really satisfying just because of all the crap you had been through with the injury with the Clemson game and to be able to rehab get back to the point of where you're playing and you're an impact player for Carolina and then have that play happen I, I talk, just kind of talk to me about the emotions in that one well, just looking back at that play at the time when that happened, you know, I really didn't, you know, really – you don't really understand the significance of moments when you're in the moment sometimes. But afterwards, you know, looking back, there was an article that came out that was posted on uh, on campus, you know, I was looking at my situation. I just looked back at it, and it was just kind of rewarding to be able to go through, you know, not being able to walk, not being able to, 
go home to see my family and all this stuff, you know, for a whole year. And then you finally get back to playing and you get back and you, and you're doing exactly what you were doing, you know, you know, before you injured, you know, so that, that was just, that was just rewarding to me mentally to just be able to go through that and, and be able to just get back in the end zone, being a big guy, rumbling, fumbling, tumbling with the ball and get in the end zone with it, man. It's just, it's just, uh, you know, especially when it's, when the team is trailing, and we need something to happen for us and, and just to be that spark. You know, it was just a great feeling. For sure. So I mentioned, <clears throat> I mentioned Nathan at the top of the show. You were actually, and I didn't know this beforehand, you were the first ever Gamecock to play in four bowl games. Like I mentioned, 05, 06, 08, and 09. When I read off that stat, I mean, what does that mean to you? Because, again, that's something I didn't even know, but reading up on you, first ever Gamecock to play in four bowl games. I know they all didn't go the way you wanted, but I'm sure – that's another thing where it's like when you're in the moment, you're not thinking about it. But looking back at that, I mean, how proud are how proud are you of that accomplishment? I, I think you were also part of the group that really laid the foundation and set the stage for what we saw 2010 to 13. Well, that that time was important, you know, but um, they actually mentioned that to me, you know, prepping up during bowl practice before the bowl game, you know, they told me, like, I would be the first class. I said, hey, 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 wait, I've got all these injuries going on. Let me get to the game. Let's talk about this after the game because I have all kinds of issues going on. I just want to get through the season. <laughs> but um, but when they did tell me that, I was shocked. And I, my first response was, wow, that's sad. I said, wow, that is sad for us, to, for, that, for this to be the first time. And then since then, it's, there's been more and more players that's been doing it. And I'm just, I'm just glad that we've come beyond that. Mm. because it's kind of crazy to sit there and think, like, this is the first time out of all the great players, all, all the great teams that's come through here, that there's one guy that's been able to play. And he's, it's amount of, it's, it was kind of mind-boggling, but at the same time, it's like our program has got to keep building. It's got to keep on coming, you know. And, and we have since then, you know, I always like to think that we were better than we are now then, but just looking at the whole picture, you know, these guys that they got now are, are some good guys. We got, we got a good team, I think. Mm. For sure. So looking back, obviously, to, I want to talk about 2009, uh, the Ole Miss game. I don't feel like you can talk about that year without that 2009 Ole Miss game, the birth of Sandstorm, if you will. Uh, j just from your perspective, Nathan, talk about that night. I mean, was that the craziest game you played at Williams-Brice Stadium? And do you feel like that was kind of the signature win that took the Spurrier era to the next level, if you will? I mean, that was a, that was a great game and a great win. You know, we prepare and we expect to win stuff like that so when we when we do lose those big games it's a, it's like a surprise you know but when, when we win the big games that means everything went like it was supposed to you know how we would rehearse how we prepare it went like it was supposed to so we're not really surprised when we win those kind of games you know the ones that we get surprised on, on are the blowouts the blowout games are the ones you like what happened here but when you prepare and you and you scout the team you're playing against and, and you look at the film and everything happens like it's supposed to. That's that's when it's gratifying. That's when that's when it's a great, you know, just just a great day for us all. But being that they were, I think they were number six or number. I'm, I'm not sure they were ranked, but we don't really look at those things because when we play every SEC opponent we play is a big game to us. And if the, if the opponent is highly ranked, you know, it's it's, it's great, but. If the opponent is not highly ranked, it's going to be a tough team you got to face. That's that's the beauty of our conference. You know, we've played many unranked teams that could be definitely in the top ten, depending on you know 
the way the chips fell, you know, because oftentimes we would just beat ourselves up in our conference. We just, you know, you, you're having two good teams and somebody's got to lose. So then you'll fall in the rankings, you know, but every week it's a, it's a tough game no matter who it is. You know, the Vanderbilts are tough. The Kentuckys are tough. The Ole Misses are always tough. You know, these teams are going to be tough in this conference, and that's, that's why I love our conference more than anything. But, but again, that, that was still a huge win for us, you know, with them being ranked and with how the, um, the defense came out and played. You know, a lot of great – a lot of things fell into place that night on that Thursday night, and it, it was a great one. It was a, it was a great time. No doubt. So I wanted to ask you about as well, Nathan, you were part of the goon squad defense and you, you were really on those teams that started that the goon squad defense. Just, just talk about kind of sort of where did that come from for you guys? Like where, 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 where did that start? I guess. And then how were you guys able, I, I feel like you guys really used it as fuel to the fire, if you will, and really embraced being the goon squad defense. And it certainly paid off while you were at Carolina. Man, those young guys started that when they came in, I'm just telling you, I, I had I wasn't really a part of that. I went with it and I was there, but that was that was kind of a movement in the wave of of guys we had coming in. You know, we had guys that kind of wanted to make our units. You know, they gave us a title. They gave us a little bit more to play for. And you know, I was just one of the older guys that kind of kept us kept us in line, kept everybody kind of focused. But those guys came in with the goon squad. You know, kind of wanted to make us the goon squad. You know, we had guys like DJ. That was you know that was that was really young then I can't remember uh, you know Antonio was was young you got other guys playing on the back end of our defense that were really young and and they were starting to get a little bit more swag about what we were doing you know and they kind of brought a different way than how we were used to but you know we all kind of met in the middle and just started to just get better and better and, and it started showing the field and then they started to build that trend and then once the other guys started coming behind them it just started to make a you know make South Carolina defense a problem, you know, just kind of how we were always a tough defense as a unit. You know, we had great linebackers, great defensive backs, great linemen coming through, but we just started to really put it together after that moment. So a game I want to jump to, your last game at Williams-Brice Stadium, Nathan, the uh, South Carolina Clemson game 2009, the first of a five-game winning streak over the Tigers. Talk about just, you know, how satisfying it was for you, again, after everything you had been through in your career, you're capping off a Really, really solid senior season. Um, just talk about what the emotions were like for you, for you guys to get such a huge win over Clemson and that being your last game at Williams-Brice. Well, again, you know, we watched a lot of tape on Clemson and we knew we could handle them up front for sure. And we knew they had some weapons around us, you know, on the, on the, on the, on the outside, on the back end of, of the defense and on the, the receiving units and the running backs were nice. We knew that if we could stop the run, and forcing them to pass them the ball that, that we will be able to have have a, have a good time with them, you know. So um, so we came out, you know, thinking we're going to stop the run first. Oh, oh I, forget, I forget about the return game. Mm-hmm. And not letting them affect the game returning in returns. Because I think they had Spiller, which was, you know, track speed guy on the back end, returning kicks for them. So we said first point was to not kick the ball to 28 down the middle because he will return it. So, you know, we listened to the coaching on the first play of the game. We kick it down the middle to him and let him return for a touchdown. So we start not 0-7. <laughs> you, know, you know, so it's, it's a lot of these plays you'll never forget. But but, but that was just the beginning. And I'm not sure how many points they scored that day, but we knew from watching them and just, you know, from that moment on that 
there wasn't going to be many other points scored in that game, you know, because we we just came ready to play. The guys wanted to just – we all wanted to get that win that day. And, you know, the weather was right. Everybody was just feeling really good about it. And, um, you know, we set the tone and just kind of really went after them and got the win. And um, since that – you know, from that game on, they kind of – those guys, like I said, that young group of guys that came on that team that year, mixed with some of the older guys, you know, like the Travian Robertsons and those guys, like and the Devin Taylors, the guys that had been around a little bit, you know, that young group of guys that come through that with that wave, it kind of pushed that group on to be a great group. You know, with, with Stephon Gilmore playing with us, you know, he was he was really young at the time, but he was, you know, he was dynamic from day one. You know, he was just dynamic, great player, just great attitude. Everything about him was good, you know, from day one, you know. And we all kind of figured he would be a special guy, for sure. I, I imagine, you know, Nathan, you're a guy, you have to take great pride in the simple fact that I would say that, you, you and, you know, a host of other guys, your teammates, but you guys really, you left the program off in a much better place than it was when you got there in 2005, Sam. And obviously, again, you got there when South Carolina's going through a coaching change. There's, you know, everyone's excited, but there's a little bit of uncertainty. You guys accomplished a ton of firsts that first year, obviously winning in Knoxville, beating Florida, stuff like that. But the way you left off the program, again, in 2009, I mean, I, again, fully believe that Guys like you laid the foundation for what we saw in 2010 and 2013, winning the SEC East, winning five in a row over Clemson, those 11 win seasons. I mean, talk about this, just the sense of pride you feel even now when you look back and, you know, think about that you were one of the guys that really paved the way for the success we saw after you left. I mean, I look at those moments and, you know, kind of think that I like to play a part in that. But really, you know, we just we just all wanted to compete. You know, that's what it boiled down to. We wanted to be the best player we wanted to be the best guy you know on the field all the time and each player wanted to be the best player so when you got guys that that wants to compete and, and wants to be the best you know I can remember sitting in the locker room and, and comparing tackles for loss with Melvin when, when Melvin was playing Melvin Ingram was only playing interior at the time uh, interior D-line at the time and that's when the kind of the, the, the trend kind of changed you got guys that's trying to compete with each other you know not just trying to you know, I want to beat so You know, we were just trying to win the battle up front all the time. Not wanting to get beat by anybody, not wanting to get embarrassed. You know, we just wanted to go out there and set the tone and compete and, and not allow anybody else on the field unless they were going to compete. You know, I felt like we all took ownership of our position, of our of our side of the ball, you know. You know, we didn't let guys get on the field that wasn't ready to contribute and, and wasn't going to compete to the level that we wanted. Not what the coaches wanted, but what we wanted. You know, we wanted guys competing at the top level. You know, because we know that when you compete at the top level, that's that's only going to make the team better. And it's not competing at the top level on game day. Mm-hmm. It was competing at the top level in the weight room, in the indoor facility when it's time to, when it's time for running, when it's time to condition, outside when it's time to practice. You know, we wanted to compete. We, we want guys. We want the guys to even do what they were supposed to do at the at the at the meal plan. You know, I want guys that was going to eat when they're supposed to, show up when you're supposed to, do what you're supposed to do, and we all see ownership. You know, it wasn't a coach saying this. It was it was players looking after players, and that's what makes your team go beyond any other thing you could do. Once the players take control and take ownership of the players and, 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 and of yourself and, and, and everything that's going on around us, that's when the program kind of catapults. And that's kind of what it did. You know, we, 
catapulted. I mean, we couldn't really sustain it, but, you know, a, a lot of things fell in place for the Gamecocks in those few years that we were good, you know. So a lot of things fell in place, and there was a lot of groundwork, you know, done before that. But mm. the biggest thing that I, I really like knowing that the players, we really took ownership of the program. No doubt. So, Nathan, on, on a little bit lighter of a note, and I say this kind of jokingly, but the 2009 Papa John's Bowl against UConn, is that the most miserable you've been playing in a football game? Man, I'm, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> like, when we got there, like, it was a great week. Practice went well. You know, it was – you know, nobody wants to be really in Birmingham, you know, playing a football game because you want to be in those southern states. You want to be down south. You want to be in Florida, you know, where it's a little bit warmer. You know, you really don't want to be there, but it's another opportunity to get better. So we were there, and man, when we got there on game day, it was the coldest we had ever been. And we all looking around because we just kind of confused. Like, why is the weather this cold? We just all confused. And then we look over at the UConn guys, and these guys are walking around with no shirt on. You know, these guys are just joking around, playing loose, having a great time, and we are just miserable. And I think, I mean, you could, you can almost tell from the way that game started to the way that game ended. Like, nobody was comfortable, ever could get comfortable in that game. And it was just – it was flat out just too cold for these Southern boys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. It's, it, you know, it's funny because it's funny to look back on it now because I, I just feel like of all the bowl games, that is one that is – that, that's one that's still talked about by South Carolina fans. I mean, the game itself, they said they ran out of pizza by halftime. Like, just a miserable day in general. Like, just to, to get your perspective, obviously, is pretty funny. So, one thing I thought uh, I was interesting, so I couldn't find anything. So, correct me if I'm wrong here, Nathan, but what, what was kind of after South Carolina, after the Papa John's Bowl, what, uh, what did the future look like for you as far as football is concerned? Uh, as far as football was concerned um it was left in the locker room at the papa john's boat right i left it in the locker room you know i was you know i played you know as much as i really wanted to play you know i had a i already had a child that was you know i think i think my oldest son now he's 13 so he would have been i think three or four at the time i was you know i was ready to just be done with with the game you know because i left you know i didn't i didn't even I left everything sitting right there. Everything, you know, I didn't even come back for the um, for the combine. You know, the what the pro day. Mm. I was I was really just ready to begin the rest of my life, you know, because I was more than a football player. You know, I just wanted to be with my family and just move on with life, you know, because you know, because you get a lot of guys that, and you still see it now, a lot of guys that just get stuck in that lifestyle, which is a great lifestyle to be a football player especially on the college football team, you know, they kind of roll the red carpet out for us, you know, all the time. So that's kind of a lifestyle that you get – it's really easy to get used to. So I was – you know, I know I had been through a lot of injuries, so I, I really knew that a pro career was kind of on the back burner for me. And, and, I, I, and I knew that every moment that I spent focusing on football, I was taking away from my son that was growing up and, and you know, and eventually becoming a man now, which he's, you know, he's he's getting ready for high school football now. So I was just anxious to get home and just and just be with my family. What's what's it like, you know? With I feel like it's interesting now with everything we know with the, you know, the CTE stuff. There, there's 
people feel certain ways about football. Obviously, you're letting your son play football. What's it, what's it like being a football dad now for you? What is, what is that experience like? Well, it's, it's, you just definitely have to, to um, worry. I don't worry about all that kind of stuff as far as the injuries and the head stuff just simply because that the game has made so many strides towards, you know, the technology mm-hmm. for keeping the guys safer, you know, with all the pads. They, you know, they just surrounded by pads these days. You know, I've been, I've been through a few years of, of little league football, rec football and all this stuff. So I, I get to see it up close and, you know, I'm, I'm a huge person about football because football forms, it helps you guys, it helps young men and young boys, shape their lives to be great citizens and great dads. And that's I'm a firm believer in that. You know, I know it's a lot of, you know, people don't people worry about the head injuries and all that stuff. I mean, I mean, I just I just think that by you being a player and, and being lucky enough to be on a you know a college team or be able to play on your high school team, no matter what kind of team it is, I'm a huge team because the team kind of prepares you for life it, it kind of you know teaches you the ups and downs how to bounce back from the from the bad how to react during the good times and it just um, I really feel like it gets you prepared for life you know especially in this business world we're living in now it kind of gets you ready for that for sure so I, I want to talk some current day Gamecocks um, Nathan because I, I think what's interesting I want to get your perspective on it. you were a guy in your own right that was a dominant force inside for South Carolina defensive tackle. I want you to talk about a guy, Javon Kinlaw, a guy that South Carolina is going to be depending on. Huge dude. I mean, he's a force. A lot of people are saying he could be a first-round NFL draft pick, at least second round if he has a good year. Um, talk about his game. What do you see from him? What do you like from him? And uh, what do you just think about Javon Kinlaw's game overall? I mean, just watching him and, and watching how his body has evolved from the day one since being a recruit to the day he finally stepped foot on campus. You know, he's, his body has changed so many ways, and I think it makes him very dynamic as a, as a player because it, you know, I think he's listed as an interior lineman. I, I'm pretty sure he's listed mm-hmm. as an interior yeah. lineman, but I've mm-hmm. been looking at his range and how he's, you know, cut his body down this year coming into the season. I mean, this kid could be a 3-4 defensive end. I mean, he could be a – I mean – he could be a five technique and he could be a nose. He could be a three tech. You know, he, he could do a – he could play along the whole front line. I think just looking at his abilities that I've seen, you know, I'm not there with him every day. I don't, I don't know him personally. But just to see the tools that he's been blessed with and that he's worked for, from my perspective, I think he's he's going to be very special for the for Carolina this year. And that, that D-line is, is, is going to be one of our strong points. I think we loaded with talent and, and – and um, experience on that D line. I, I don't think we're getting a lot of. I don't think we're getting a lot of credit for how loaded we are up front. And uh, I hope they don't give us any credit for it, so we can blow everybody out of the water. You know, once the season rolls around. But um, it, it's it's kind of a good position to be in. You know, they could play with a chip on their shoulder. They can go out and get ready to play every week and go and go play hard and be successful. But I think they really will with Juanum, and along with uh, Ken Law, some other uh, some other guys, Keir Thomas. You know, I think these guys are going to be really good. For sure. So I definitely want to get your take on sort of the, the state of the program right now. Obviously, Will Muschamp entering his fourth season. Um, everyone loves to talk about the schedule this year, which I know you being a competitor would look at it much more as an opportunity versus a burden like some people do. But uh, when definitely. you take a look at this 2019 season and just the program overall right now, again, under Will Muschamp, um, you know, 
what are, what's your takeaways on sort of where where the program is right now and where you think it's heading? I mean, I love the position that the, the, the program is in. You know, I know a lot of people are you know griping about the schedule and all this stuff, but I mean, if you want to be with the, if you want to go play with the big boys, you got to you got to go play with them. You know, you got to get involved. You got you got to go and play some of these big teams because if you don't and you say you don't play these good teams and you beat them all you'll find yourself on the outside looking in, you know. So now with the way scheduling is made up, you know, if we can be successful with this schedule, it's going to put us in the national image right off the top. You know, you know, everybody's going to be looking at the Gamecocks, you know. I'm optimistic always, and I'm a little bit biased. You know, I don't have us <laughs> losing. You know, I can never see us, you know, losing crazy amounts of games just because I know what they, what, what the work these guys are putting in. You know, I, I can see it, you know. So I know what they want and know what they're – what they're moving towards, but um, this is going to be a tough schedule. But I really, honestly, feel like that. I mean, it's, it's crazy to hear it, but I mean, I feel like we can do well, you know, because I just feel like you know we're underrated in a lot of positions that people are kind of down on us about. You know, I think they're forgetting about the receivers we have. I think they're forgetting about the defensive line we have. I think they're forgetting about that. You know, I think we got a four. Uh, Brunson, is this a senior season? I think they forget the experience mm-hmm. that we've got a linebacker. They forget about that cornerback we got out there and the other mm-hmm. corner that's come on this year to play more. They forget about that number 21 playing safety back there. You know, I think people are forgetting about what the Gamecocks can do. And I love it. I love it. For sure. I'm, I think I'm ready to run through a brick wall now, no doubt. We went 13 days. I'm just telling you, I, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a football dad now. You know, you know, I always be a player at heart, but I'm just telling you, I, when I see opportunities like this, I can't do anything but smile and get excited about it because it's either going to be everything or it's going to be nothing in my eyes, you know, and I'd rather shoot for it all. <laughs> no doubt. No, I, I agree with you 110%. So I'm going to get you out of here, Nathan, but last question for you. When you look back on your South Carolina career, again, there from 2005, 2009, when you look back on your Gamecocks career, what's the one memory that you would say is your favorite of all that stands out? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, favorite memory is definitely being able to get back. Well, personal memory is getting back in that Ole Miss game and scoring a touchdown for our team to win. You know, you know that was that was probably you know that was kind of like like the weight off my shoulders. Man, I'm back. I mean, it's you know everything is back the way that way it was supposed to be. You know, that was one of my significant you know moments while I was there. You know, but I mean, it's it's so many things that happened while I was in school, man. It's it's just really hard to pin in on one, you know, one exact situation because it was it was things happening every week that you know I was grateful for. You know, this this never really you know never really got out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No doubt. Well, Nathan, really do appreciate you taking the time again. Like I said, I, I know I speak for all Gamecock fans when we say it was a pleasure to watch number ninety five out there every single week. And again, I. I really, again, believe that you're, you're one of the key instrumental guys that really set the foundation for the success, the success we saw 2010 to 13, those, you know, glory years, if you will, for South Carolina. And um, really appreciate you taking the time. And let's definitely do it again sometime and talk some ball. Oh, man, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And um, I look forward to, to seeing your post, you know, when the season rolls around. I'm always checking you out.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.